All right. <clears throat> yes, I. This is this is going to be a little different, and I celebrate the wisdom of the staff as they put together this series. In that, if we didn't have this particular. Um, what to call it, topic, I guess. It's hard to know what to pick out. And they picked this, and I think it's, it's really a blessing because it helps us see another side, another aspect, another facet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if, if it wasn't for this, I think, especially in, in, the, in the way that I've been presenting this series, we could leave thinking that God is just some kind of remote something out there. I mean, we know He's a person, but He's, he's a long ways away, and he's, he's kind of... We're after that. That's what we want. We want a, a high and elevated view. We want to magnify the Lord. That's what we've been trying to do here. It's magnify the Lord. We can't make Him any bigger than He is, but we can zoom in on different parts and magnify the Lord. And today, we're going to be magnifying His character or His, the feature of Him being the intercessor. And we've, Anthony alluded to that already. The intercessor. So it's going to be different. Um, I almost caved in and tried to put together a PowerPoint for this. And I got started on it, and I was like, you know what? That is not going to work. That's just not going to work. I'm glad that it works for people, but it, it just didn't work for me. And so God gave me the freedom to not do that. Blessed be God. Has anyone... So, so, so we're talking about Jesus' ministry at the Father's right hand. What is Jesus doing right now? That's what we're thinking about. We looked at Jesus from the beginning, from before there was even time. That, that stuff's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. It even started. Can I get a rag or a towel or something? This thing's leaking. Um, we looked at Jesus... From before creation, eternity, we looked at Jesus in his time on earth for a couple sessions, and now we're looking at Jesus and what is he doing now, right now? His ministry at the Father's right hand. At right hand. That's right. What is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding for you and me. Has anyone ever heard of a daysman? Daysman. If that one doesn't make it in the vernacular, it won't be my fault. 
Daysman, anybody heard of this before? Where? How? What does it mean? You just heard of it. Just heard of it as a word in Job. Oh, Job. You don't remember what he said? Oh, that there is that there would be a days between me and God. Okay. Let's turn quickly to that. Good. You're doing great. Job 9, 32 and 33. This was the cry of Job. And I think it was the cry. He represents a whole class or um, not class, but a whole period in history where this was the cry of their hearts. Job 32, Job 9, 32 and 33. Somebody read that quickly. They might do what? Lay his hand upon us both. Remember we, we, we had two groups of words. The one group of words described God and the other group described man. And so for Job, he understood that. He knew who he was and he had a concept of God and he understood that gulf that existed between him and God. And he said, he is not a man that I, that I can answer him, nor is there any daysman between us who can lay his hand upon us both. And that's what we have today in the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This Ministry of Jesus is a feature of his priesthood. We talked kind of in passing about how the how Jesus is the person and work of Jesus Christ is typically divided into three categories. Do you remember what they were? What was it? I don't think they heard you back there. Prophet, not... priest, and king. Thank you. Prophet, priest, and king. Those are the typical, that's typically how we we classify the person and work of Christ. And this is a feature of his priesthood. And we talked a little bit about mediator, but this flows exactly and directly out of his function as a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so it's natural that even now, in his having gone to sit at the Father's right hand, this is what he's doing. And it's just interesting to think about what their conversations might be. And that's what we want to sort of try to get a sense of. Like, what are the Father and the Son talking about? When they look down and when they're talking, when, when, what is his qualifications as, as an inter intercessor? What was his appointment as an intercessor? We want to look at some pictures from the past. We look at present possibilities. And then we want to personalize this somewhat. So that's where we're headed today. What are the characteristics that qualify Jesus as our intercessor? We're going to look at that Hebrews chapter 1. So I want you to, we're, we're really going to have to work um, quickly. We're going to have to work together. Um, Hebrews chapter 1. And, and uh, um, what... What are the qualifications? What qualifies him 
to be our intercessor, our mediator. So as you look at Hebrews 1, I would just want you to start throwing some things out to me. What do you see there that qualifies him to be our mediator, our, our intercessor? He's better than the angels. He's, okay. He's spirit of the angels. He's God's son. He purged our sins. Um, thank you. Heir. He's the heir. He's the creator. What else do you see there? Where do you see that? Oh, yes. That's right. He's, he's eternal. That's a little easier for me to write than he remains forever. Um, what else do you see? He's already, it's his, wow, that's rich. Um, okay, upholds everything. Keep going. What does that mean? It's just in there. It's, yeah, and all these things, so, so we're going we're gonna to move on, but you get the point. There's just a lot of things on that side of him. And how would we summarize every single one of these things right here? If we had to, if I forced you to summarize that down into one thing. Christ, but one quality, one feature, one characteristic. You said it, I think. God, divinity, deity. The fact that he is deity qualifies him to put his... One of his hands on God. So he has to be deity in order to be a mediator, to be this daysman, this intercessor. Um, so let's turn to Hebrews 2. And let's do the same thing. What are some of the qualifications that you find in Hebrews chapter 2? Okay. Suffered. Okay, suffered, suffered, same as us. He's the captain. He's a partaker. He's what? Now inferior. He was for a little time lower than the angels. That's kind of important that we we get the significance of that. This is a little bit of an aside, but it's not that he's now inferior. He was for a little time lower than the angels, but now he is exalted, like it says in Ephesians 1, far above all principality and power and every name that is named. So he was for a little while lower than the angels. He, um, so we could say he spent time lower than the angels. Can we say that, Trevor? Um, seed of Abraham. Sorry for you in the back. Um, this is getting a little down low, but what did you say, humble? Yeah, this is like with the Lord and the angels. Yeah, humble. Humbled himself. He, where do you see that? Um, this is chapter 2. Yep. Uh, verse 17. Okay, high priest. 
Tempted. Tasted death. Like, you see how these things qualify him to be? So if we had to summarize all of these, what would we, what would we say? Mortal. He's mortal. His humanity is mortal or human. So we see how this author, because the author of Hebrews was really kind of focused on Jesus' priesthood. And so he's developing this whole case. He's doing it in ways not in a systematic theology, and that's why we kind of, it just kind of keeps going around and around. That's the way the, the Hebrews thought, and it's really challenging for me because it's more like a straight line for me. That's how It's easier for me to think in a straight line than it is to think in these kind of ascending circles, but that's the way the Hebrews thought. That's why 1 John is so difficult for me to outline. Because it just kind of goes around like this. But anyway, we digress. Let's see. Good. You're doing great. You're pulling out a lot of things. Um, so how does this uniquely qualify him to be our intercessor? Yeah, just throw it out. I, I'm, we don't. So with, he can make intercession with God or speak to God because he is God. He's right. God. So he's he can so what Job said was he's not a man that I could relate to him. And now we see in Jesus Christ that he is a man. He does understand because he was tempted in every way like we are. Wait, we're not to that one yet. Let's go on. Hebrews 4 14 to 16. Just real quick, and I'm I may I may not try to take time because we're running out of time. Let's already. Um, Hebrews 4, quickly, what do you see there in verses 14 to 16? Just shout them out here. He's a high priest. Okay, what else? Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Where am I at? Okay, yep, yep. Alright. So he was sinless. What else? He's touched. He could feel that. And that's, that is, that's profound. And I think some of the other messages have really brought that out. The fact that Jesus is so touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What else do you see real quick? If anything. Which is a different translation of the same phrase, I think. But yes, exactly. Exactly, very good. Let's go on to another one. Um, Hebrews 5, 1 to 4. What do you see here? What was it? Compassion on the ignorant. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody feel good about that? <laughs> How does that feel to know that Jesus has compassion on the ignorant? What else do you find there? He had a, he had a specific appointment, and we'll come back to that. I think. Where do you see that exactly? Verse 1. Every high priest taken from among men is, a, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. So he had an appointment. For men in things pertaining to God. Good. What else do you see? Compassed with infirmity. 
So he, he needed to know. He, where do you see that exactly? What verse? In the verse 2, it says, since he himself is also, what does it say? Compassed with infirmity. Compassed with infirmity. What are, what are some of the other versions say? Beset with Subject to weakness or beset with weakness. So, so where do we find Jesus compassed with infirmity? I want to make sure I'm, I'm kind of slowing down on this one because we don't want to get confused. Where? What? Give me some examples. Okay, but I want to know some some historic like where, when, and how. What? When he was tempted, he got tired. In the garden. In the garden, what happened? Okay, so he was compassed with infirmity or subject to weakness. Good. No, these are good. Anything else that you that you can say? That, that fits under this heading of... He slept. He slept. He wept. And he wept. And he got thirsty. And he got hungry. And he got tired. And he was, his soul was exceedingly troubled, even unto death. His, he was... He knows... I think that's a hymn now. He knows what sore temptations mean, for he has felt the same. Watch, make sure we know what we're quoting here. All right, let's move on. Um, six to ten in the same passage has. So I think the reason I did this is I had some other ideas about how to go through this. But um, let's look quickly then at six through ten. What do you see there? That, that qualifies him to be our intercessor. I'm sorry? Okay. He learned obedience. That's amazing. That's amazing because we know what that's like to learn obedience. But here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so whenever you're struggling to obey... And, you can go to God and Jesus and ask Him if He understands what you're going through. And what will He say? I understand. I learned obedience too. I learned obedience. What did you say up here? He was appointed after the order of Melchizedek. That's exciting. I don't know how many people get excited about Melchizedek. It's all right. Okay, let's keep going. What else do you see? He was perfect. He was the author of eternal salvation. He was called of God. So he knows what it's like to pray himself. He himself knows what it... Wow! Like He knows what it's like to pray, folks. And this is the one that we're praying to. The one that knows what it's like to pray himself and, and read a little bit more in detail what kind of prayer. With strong crying and tears. This wasn't just a... Um, but he knows what it's like to pray in desperation, in anguish, in, with strong crying and tears. He knows what that's like. This is the one 
who is our intercessor that's seated right now at the Father's right hand. So if you have some strong prayers, some cries and some tears, I want you to know that Jesus, He understands that. He has felt that. He was perfected by suffering. He learned submission. He knows what it's like to pray fervently. Let's look at one more. Um, chapter 7, 23 through 28. What do you see here? I know you're, you're scanning it quick. and it's, he's, he's, he's continuing forever. It's not like his term is about up. And we're going to get a new one in there, and we don't know what he's going to be like. If he's going to be the same, or if he's going to have... No, this, we've got... He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same Jesus. It's not like... like there, that, that has some real substance to it. What else did you see? He's able to save to the uttermost because he lives forever. He's able to save us clear to the end. I think that's what that means. Clear to the end. He's not just here when you're young and then his term goes off and you're on your own and you don't know what's, what's coming. What else do you see? Quick. Consecrated. He's holy. Consecrated. Harmless. Harmless. Undefiled. Above sin. What is it? Above sin. Above sin. Is that what your version reads? He's separate from sinners. He's separate from sinners. Why is that important? Good. We don't really want somebody that's dirty himself. Like, see, we really do want a high priest that's perfect. We do. He is undefiled. He's harmless. He's holy. And it says that this was something. What does it say? This became us, or something. It was, bef it was fitting for us that He be holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Where is it at? 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Amen. Alright. Any other qualities that that you can think of that um, we didn't mention, that, that weren't covered here in this brief exercise. Okay. His sacrifice was sufficient. He doesn't need to offer continually. What else? So which of these qualities that we listed, and it would have been awesome to just have this board plastered, but I was afraid that that we just wouldn't have time to do all that. But what, which of these qualities is not necessary, superfluous? Of all the things that we talked about, which ones maybe we wouldn't need? We could just kind of erase or delete. So on the flip side of that, what do you see that Jesus lacks in order to be qualified to be our intercessor? Nothing. Right. Okay, let's quickly look at his appointment. I'm just going to mention the fact that he was appointed. 
In Hebrews 5.10, he was called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. It's an interesting thing to explore. In Hebrews 6, he has entered the presence behind the veil. This is, I'm talking about his appointment. And the Bible was clear that he did not take this thing on himself. He was not a self-appointed high priest. He didn't just show up and say, all right, I'm going to be high priest. I kind of like that. I've always looked at this thing of being a high priest and it's something I've always wanted to be. So today, I'm the high priest. No, it wasn't like that. This was not a self-appointed ministry. He was appointed by God to do this, to be this for us. He was called, appointed, anointed. He entered into the presence behind the veil. He was made a priest with an oath. God swore that you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. When God swears, that's a big deal. And even the other priests that served, like Aaron and, and all that, they didn't, they weren't appointed with an oath. It was, but this one with an oath, it makes his appointment even more significant. He is a servant of the sanctuary, Hebrews 8, 1 to 6, of the true tabernacle. The true tabernacle. And his appointment, he had something to offer. Um, again, I, I think I'm just going to leave that. that that's <laughs> fascinating in its own way, but I wanted to look at some pictures of this mediation or this intercessory work. So there's a couple of them that I think are very beautiful. Um, we're going to look, look at some analogies of intercession. We're going to look at some pictures of this function, what this looks like from the Old Testament. Um, you can write in your notes Exodus 32, 30 to 33, Numbers 14, 11 to 24. Let me just put them up here. Uh, what did I say? Exodus 30. 30 what? 32 to 33. Okay. And then the other one was Numbers 14. This is where the PowerPoint boys don't have to thrash around. Um, and then we've got, and the other one is in the Old Testament is, so I'd like you to turn with me to Zechariah 3, 1 to 5, because this one is when, when the, in the story of the golden calf, when Moses comes down, Moses and Joshua are coming down the mountain, and Joshua says, I hear, the no I, hear a, I hear a sound. It sounds like war. And Moses is like, no, that's not what war sounds like. That sounds like a party going on. And they get down there and they find that Aaron has made this golden calf. And he smashes the, the tablets and he says, well, what in the world did they do to you to make you do this? And then he falls on his face and he intercedes for the people of God. And this is a picture of intercession. This is what intercession looks like. And then in Numbers 14, we have the story. Does anybody know? Quickly, what, what happened in Numbers 14? No? Numbers 14 is another time when Moses interceded after the spies came back and, they, and everybody kind of 
let up this big wail and said, we can't do it, we're not going. And God said, that's it, I'm going to wipe them out entirely. And, and Moses falls on his face and intercedes for the people. We see Moses being this type of Christ and interceding and stepping in and saying, no, wait, don't do that. Let's, let, there's there's got to be a, another way. Let's think, link, think this through. Zechariah 3 is, a, is an interesting passage. Somebody read that quickly. It's fascinating. Where is that? Her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed. Oh, wait, I'm in Zephaniah. Somebody have Zechariah? And he that showed me before Joshua. Sorry. And he that showed me before Joshua the high priest. Standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will close thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them be a fair mitre upon his head. So, so they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Thank you. That is such a, an interesting story. I would love to just spend about 45 minutes unpacking that and looking at that. But I'm, I'm just going to give it to you as an example of intercession. And this is the kind of work, this is the kind of thing that Jesus is involved in. We're just wanting some pictures of intercession. What does intercession even look like? This is a, a really good example of intercession. We've got Satan on the one side, and the Lord, and we've got, and, and, even, and even this, Zechariah gets to to weigh in on this thing. Your prayers matter. Your prayers make a difference. Zechariah weighs in and says, I'd like, him to, I'd like to see him. What did Zechariah say? I'd like, I'd like to see him put a clean turban on his head. All right, let's put a clean turban on his head. Your intercession matters too in this, in this account. All right, let's move on. In the New Testament, we have a couple examples. I'm just going to give them to you. One of the examples is Barnabas, whenever he takes Paul, and the people of Jerusalem were a little afraid of him. They didn't know. They'd heard a lot of things about this man. But Barnabas somehow was able to lay his hand on the shoulder of one and his hand on, other hand on the sh shoulder of the other and said, look, it's going to be all right. And so then they accepted Paul, and, they, and he went in and out among them. The other one is Philemon 8 to 16. Philemon, the whole account, is like this whole story. And if you look at the letter and, this, and, and what Philemon said, or what Paul said to Philemon, it is a beautiful picture of intercession. Intercession, what's Jesus doing right now? Anecdotal. Where do we see Jesus making intercession during his earthly ministry? And I, I just want to ask quickly, if you can think of, just off the top of your head, um, where do, have we seen Jesus making intercession during His earthly ministry? Yes. 
That's good. That was intercession. What else? John 17. We're going to that's where I want to we're going to go there and we're going to dive. Deep dive. Where else? Thank you. That was good. Okay. All right. Good. He interceded. What else? Where did we see Jesus? Raising the widow's son. Interceding? Okay, that's a different spin than what I was thinking, but yeah. That's how I learn stuff in these, these sessions. Between Peter and the high priest servant. Okay, tell me more about that. Okay, all right. <laughs> Good. He interceded. He stepped in. Um, so I was thinking about in Luke a couple specifics here. Um, I'm going to take some time to grab them. Luke 22. Luke 22. Thirty-one. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We see Jesus interceding for the weak. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And I want you to remember this. That this is the ministry that Jesus is engaged in. It wasn't just for the Peters. It's for you and for me. Chloe, Chloe. And John, John. Trevor, Trevor. I want you to know that I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you, Simon. I've just finished praying for you, and my prayer for you today is that your faith shouldn't fail. And, and if you knew that Jesus just finished praying for you, how would you feel about that? I told you this one was going to be a little different, and we're getting into some feelings now, and I, I tell you, it's just a different experience for me. Let's see. <clears throat> then he said, Peter, I tell you, no. 23. Luke 23, 34. Um, we see him praying, Father, forgive them. You already mentioned that one. In 42 and 43 of the same chapter, we see Jesus um, interceding for the man on the other cross, saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he asks him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, yep, I'll do it. I'll do it. And you can just bank on it that, when, that, that even today you will be with me because I'm going to follow through on, on your request for me to intercede for you when I get to my kingdom. In Mark chapter 10, we see him interceding for children when they said, get this children out of here with the world. Oh, my goodness. Get them out. And he's like, Whoa. Hold it. You're totally missing something here. And he intercedes for those children. Isn't that exciting? Jesus is interceding for the children. We see him doing that. And in Mark 14, verse 6, 
me see. Mark 14, 6. This one is interesting. Um, this is the account where the woman just broke her precious perfume bottle over Jesus' feet, or maybe it was lotion. I'm not sure. Whatever it was, it was very expensive, and they start criticizing her sharply. And Jesus steps in and says, no. And he intercedes for this woman. All right, let's move to some present possibilities and let's think about, uh, we're going to look now at this prayer at Gethsemane, John chapter 17 in some detail. So it would be good, I think, just for everybody's minds to be able to be on the same page to read this. Um, so who hasn't had a chance to read or do anything like that? Would you like to do that? Yeah. Right. So we're going to start. Let me get back up to where I, I made some notes here. See where we're going to start. We're going to start, I think... Um, in verse 6 and read to the end. I think that's the part. Or maybe 9. Let's just start in 9. 9 to the end. John 17, 9 to the end. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the name, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, for that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you... The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and the, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in them, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. What a treasure. What a treasure we have to have recorded for all time this prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this prayer will never, will never exhaust this prayer. Never. There is so much depth and, and richness here. But I want to point out a few things and then and just invite you throughout your life to come back to this and know that, that if you ever wonder what Jesus is praying about, the things that are important to Him when He prays, besides the things that you ask for, because we don't know what to ask always. We don't even know what we need. And we're just like, God bless me, and I don't even know what that means. God bless so-and-so, and I don't even know. I'm just saying, God bless them. But Jesus, these are the things that are important to Him when He's praying for us, when He's taking His time to pray for you each day. These are the things that He's going to pray about. And one of the first things that I want to point out here is Jesus knows exactly who He is praying for. It's not just a generic, the sick and the afflicted, the needy and the bowed down and distressed and body and mind and all those that are the need praying for. Amen. Jesus knows exactly who he's praying for. He even specifically says, I'm, I'm not praying for them. He's not pray, I'm not praying this for them. That's how specific it is. Right now I'm praying for this and not that. He prays specifically that God would keep them. Know that God Jesus is praying that God would keep you. He's praying that they may be one. He's praying that they may have joy. He's praying that God would keep them from the evil one. He's praying for us right now that, that when we go to Seattle, that we will be kept from the evil one. Jesus Christ the one that we've been talking about is praying for us today that we be kept from the evil one. He's praying for you that, that God would sanctify you. That he would just continue to work in your life and make you more holy. And then, I already mentioned this one, but he prays again that they all may be one. In fact, this time around, he prays four times this time around. And so that makes five times in this one prayer alone that he prays that they may be one. But there's a specific reason that he adds to that that we can't help but notice. 
The reason why he's so passionate about this thing of us being one is that the world may know that you have sent me. I don't want the world to be confused on this point. And so I'm praying, God, let them somehow work out their issues to be one so that the world may know that you've sent me, that the world may know that you have loved them. And then he's praying, this is precious here. This, the next thing that we see Jesus praying is, is he's saying, God, I really want them to be with me where I am. That they may be with me where I am. Isn't that exciting? He's praying that they may behold my glory. I want them to see my glory. God. And he's praying that the love with which you love me may be in them and that I may be in them. That, that, those are the kinds of things that Jesus is praying for you as in his ministry as high priest. So if we were going to, to try to personalize this just a bit more, we would go to Romans chapter 8 where we see that the Holy Spirit is making groanings for us. That, that we don't know how to, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Verse 26, the Spirit also helps. Isn't that exciting? So we got Jesus Christ, who's, who's really busy right now, but the Spirit also helps. Because this is a big job. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now get this. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession. So it's like Jesus is sitting there listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's like, oh, okay, I know. I know what that means. Okay, all right. And then he makes intercession like this. There's just some kind of, it's a teamwork, team effort. And you're down there groaning, and the Holy Spirit's groaning. And, and Jesus is like, okay. And then he takes that prayer to God. And they understand it. And he, what, not only that, but he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He's able to take those groanings and our best flailings and turn that into a prayer that is exactly according to the will of God. <laughs> this is our Lord Jesus Christ. So who is he who condemns? It's Christ that died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Therefore, brethren having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful.